thanks for doing this, Federica. It's it's an honor to be able to sit down and talk with you. So thanks again for joining the Rise and Vote podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, David. I'm really excited. Absolutely. Um, so kind of getting into you a little bit, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Are you from the Lansing area? Where, where, where were you born and raised at? Oh, well, you should guess from my accent. I'm not really a local. <laughs> I'm uh, from uh, Rome, Italy. I came to the U.S. Uh, 17 years ago. Um, and I traveled the world before coming here because of my education and my job. Um, I was fortunate to um, get my Ph.D. In, in Italy. And then I moved to Oxford, England for a few years before going to Canada, Saskatchewan. And then I moved to warmer climates and I got to Michigan. <laughs> warmer climates. <laughs> warmer climates. <laughs> it's been a beautiful experience. And um, I love Michigan and I love Michigan State. Very cool. How long have you taught at Michigan State? Um, so it's 17 years. 17 wow. years. Yes, long time. Don't make me think about it. <laughs> <laughs> what is what has that experience been like for you? Um, it's been really um, always exciting, and that's also what has kept me going and staying in this place. Um, I had opportunity to move, um, and but I I love it because uh, Michigan State gives you. The opportunity to to grow and um, also to explore um, not only fundamental research as we do in our lab, but it gives you the opportunity to expand your horizons to applied research. Um, so for me, it's been always intellectually intellectually challenge, uh, challenging and um, really rewarding to work uh, for a for an institution like this one. That's very, that's very awesome. And I'm sure as far as like research, it's extremely important for a, a university to be supportive of all the resources that you need. Yes, but you know, this university also produces fantastic students. Um, really, what I found about these students is that they are um, very curious. Um, they want to know more, they challenge um, and I have a, a lab that is full of Michigan State students and they're really proud to be a Michigan State. And, and so that makes a difference because they they come with energy and that energy is helpful for everybody in the lab, including myself. Yeah, absolutely. And then you can kind of feed off of each other. And if, if they're excited about what they do, then you're excited about what you're doing. And it just exactly. kind of helps the whole process evolve, right? Exactly. You just got it, David. That's that's exactly what I meant. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That really is. And it, it's so, it, I don't know, that just makes me happy knowing that, like I had mentioned prior, like MSU is right there. So it's cool to see the excitement um, with the students and, and the faculty and the, the effort that they're putting in to uh, to help progress society and just make it a better place. Absolutely. Um, now, what, what got you into... What, first of all, what did you study when you went to college? What did you get your PhD in? Um, so I got my PhD in uh, plant, uh, cell, and molecular biology. 
um, what fascinated me um, as a young student was to understand how um, the cell works. So the unit of an organism, um, how does it work and how does it connect with the external environment? And so I was really fortunate because um, my mentor at that time um, put me in front of a, a microscope and uh, she showed me some bacterial cells that were um, beautiful to look at. They, they were screaming with light at me. They were really like so fascinating to look at. And so I said, you know, this is really what I want to do. I want to understand the inner workings of the cell. But I just didn't want to have a, uh, you know, um, a basic understanding at the, uh, say, visual level. I wanted to understand the mechanisms, what make a cell. And so um, for this, I, I was really interested in developing uh, knowledge and tools of molecular biology that would allow me to understand in depth how cells work and um, how we can modify them. And then as uh, my, um, my um, let's say, uh, experience uh, continued to grow, I decided to start working with plants. And the reason why I love to do that is that uh, there is no blood involved. <laughs> it's easier to work with them. Also, the idea is that, you know, as our populations population grow, we will need more and more food and we will need um, plants to be smarter um, with the soil and the nutrients that we have available. And so I decided that plants were something that uh, was really intriguing and helpful for the humanity broadly. So this is how I got into plants. That's very interesting. So you, you literally seen something one day, you're like, I want to study this for them. Yes. <laughs> and I yes. want to know everything I can possibly know about it. Exactly, exactly. And that's what drives me to, to Michigan State every morning. Um, there is now a morning that is uh, similar to another one. Um, every day is different. And, and this is thanks to the nature of um, research and discovery. Every day there is something new um, that we can learn. How has technology changed as, like when you started and as opposed to now? Well, how has research, how has technology changed research? Um, so technology has changed enormously. I, I actually did my dissertation um, using a Commodore 64 that many people would not even know what I'm talking about. So, uh, you know, the Mac was just coming to light and, um, and now we have the supercomputers. But, you know, also when I started um, confocal microscopy, so advanced microscopy was something extremely new and now it's routine in the lab. Now we can query the DNA and we can find out how one plant is differently different at the DNA level from a plant of the same species. So we can really learn things that it wasn't not even imaginable when I graduated. And it's been an exponential growth. And I think many people like me took advantage of this growth. We didn't let it go. And 
and thanks to the fact that we continue to work with really young and energetic people, they actually bring these novelties to the lab. They actually make, make me aware there's something new that we can use. And I think this partnership um, is helping a lot, helping me to grow and help them understand where and when to use it in the most profitable way. Absolutely. Now, when um, how long how long ago did this whole NASA um, partnership come about, and how did that come about? It came about um, ten years ago, almost eleven actually. So in twenty twelve, NASA made a call for ground um, research and flight research. So it was a combined call to carry out experiments um, in the lab, but also send samples um, to, to the International Space Station, the ISS. And so I was fascinated by the idea to explore new frontiers. And um, although this was not the first call of NASA for this kind of research, it was really something that I felt I was now in a, in a position to pursue. You know, um, as a researcher, you have to build some kind of confidence in your data, um, in your tools to then start exploring new frontiers. And you always have to be prepared and not be underprepared and then work with these um, important organizations. So at that point in my career, I felt that I could move to the next step. And so I applied uh, to NASA, I was successful. They gave me, um, grant to get started. And we had our first um, um, flight uh, to send samples to DISS that was successful. And then NASA had a subsequent call and I applied and I was successful again in receiving money to send a second set of samples to them. And so um, it's, it's been wonderful to work with them. But then they got um, this new call for the Artemis flight. And I felt that that was the coolest thing. So in sending um, samples around the moon, it was just mind blowing. And so I thought, yeah, I want to do that. And this is how my Artemis mission with them uh, started. And we started in 2018, working with them in 2018. Now, when you say that the first and second were successful, what do you mean by that? So we had sent seats to the International Space Station um, and they, um, the astronauts let these seats germinate um, on the station and then uh, blocked the seedlings, the development of the seedlings using um, so-called fixative, something that blocks everything. So then the um, seedlings could be sent back to us and we could analyze them. And we um, analyzed their gene expression. So the expression of um, the makeup of the nuclear information of the, of the seedlings to see how they responded to, to space flight. And um, so to the lack of gravity, to radiation, so to a number of variables. And we sent seeds that were wild types, so not modified and seeds uh, that were modified so that they lacked specific um, stress responses. They couldn't activate some stress responses. And we wanted to see what would happen in space um, to these two different backgrounds. 
The plant that we sent to space is a, a motor plant species that is called Arabidopsis italiana. It is um, uh, very common in lab research and is considered a model because um, many plants have a similar um, responses that we can observe in Arabidopsis. Um, and so it's very helpful to study this plant um, for comparison with many other plant species. What kind of information did you guys take away studying those seeds when they came back from space? So from, from those two missions, we learned that plants activate stress responses that are not um, usually activated on Earth. Um, so this is very important because um, plants have now evolved to, um, to live and survive in space. And moving to space is our next frontier as humanity, right? So understanding how plants respond to space is fundamental to start making a sustainable environment in space. So now understanding which responses are activated in, in space is important, but also innovative because we can then pick apart these responses, maybe potentiate them, make them stronger, so plants can be equipped to survive space. So this is how we came uh, back with the kind of information that we came back with. What kind of environment is needed to be able to grow plants in space? Um, so a minimum, of course you need uh, light and water and you will think that those are the easiest things to uh, establish. And when you think about it, and maybe the most challenging things actually to obtain. Um, so light um, is something that can be put in, in, a, con in a, a closed environment, but then you limit it by space, right? Um, if you want to make something sustainable, you need a large amount of space to grow your crops, to grow your plants. So light can be um, a limiting factor. Um, air, of course, is a limiting factor too, but when you think about it, um, while that can be supplied, um, water can become an issue because due to the lack of gravity, uh, it's very difficult to water plants because water doesn't go down, right? It goes everywhere. So you have to develop the technology to um, water plants. And NASA is working with very bright um, engineers and biologists and other scientists to establish these self-contained uh, self environments to, to grow plants in space. How long do you think, how, how far away are we from being able to grow plants fully in space, would you say? I cannot put the date on that, um, but just this year, a beautiful study came about that um, you can grow um, the seeds of Arabidopsis, the plant that I was telling you, on um, lunar soil, on lunar regolith. Plants don't do too well, but you can do it. So the scientists received, um, the scientists that did uh, the experiment received the um, lunar soil or lunar regolith uh, from uh, previous Apollo flights. And they were able to show that plants can grow 
uh, on that kind of uh, medium, on that kind of soil. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to say that we are not far, but there are indications that we can possibly um, colonize um, also that kind of surface for, for growing plants. Now, the latest mission with NASA, did you send the same plant, plant seeds back to space? Yes, we sent um, the same species, uh, wild type, but also with mutations that would alter the quantities of amino acids. So amino acids make um, proteins, so make really the building bodies of proteins, which are so important for the plant development, but also for human and animal development and growth. So um, we know that radiations in space can affect the makeup of uh, amino acids. So what we wanted to see is if we send, um, we wanted to test what would be the response of these seeds to um, space. So um, we equip them with more amino acids with the idea that by coming back from um, space, the, these plants that would have more amino acids would be better equipped to survive space flight. And you guys received those back, didn't you? Yes, we received them um, in our lab a couple of weeks ago. And um, they came in a, a special container. We were all very excited to get them. Um, we unpacked um, the, the vials um, that contained the seeds. And um, luckily, everything was in good shape. Um, you know, the Orion capsule underwent a big splashdown and yet everything was well preserved. No, no breakage, no contamination of seeds. And we already growing the seeds on, um, um, you know, we germinated the seeds and we are now looking at the plants. So the experiments are ongoing. Very cool. That's cool. Um, what, do, what do you think this research means for us now and for the future? Well, I think um, it, really strengthens the idea that everything is possible. You know, sending seeds now to, to the lunar orbit says, yes, we can. We can reach new frontiers. And now we can start doing some hypothesis-driven research to try to establish life um, outside planet Earth. I, I could imagine that when you started your career, you probably never imagined that we would be this far in, um, in no. research, right? Absolutely. I mean, I was born the day, not the day, sorry, the year that um, the man landed on the moon. <laughs> so <laughs> now, now for me, this means a lot. And so I can tell you personally, no, I wasn't, even thinking that my research would have been um, going that far. And I'm proud to say that we made history because we sent now seeds that far. Um, I'm really um, proud, um, but also very grateful that I was given the opportunity to do so. I mean, that's, that's quite an, like a significant thing to accomplish in your life. Yes. To be able to further human existence possibly. I mean, at some point, if something catastrophic ever happens to earth, we have the research and the knowledge available to possibly grow something in space. It's a beginning. 
it's definitely a beginning. It's a big step. And um, I'm so happy that there are obviously uh, visionary people um, that are well above me in pay grade and, uh, and in smartness that really are looking forward and uh, looking to the interest of people on this planet. And this is why we exploring new frontiers. Now, do you receive, have you received any criticism from anybody regarding like growing food in space or growing biology in space? No, so far um, I received only very supportive uh, comments and really support in any way. I think people are genuinely excited by the opportunities. Um, I haven't heard anything negative back and I, 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 I am so um, blessed about it because as you know, um, to any uh, action, there is always an opposite reaction, right? <laughs> and, and, and that's good because it stimulates your, your thinking. So far, so good. Um, which though also means that um, I think people have need time to react to, to what is happening. So let's see what our results bring us. And then I think that the discussions are open and there will be continue, continue to be a conversation on how we can always improve. I think that would be uh, where really the input um, would be constructed to have input from the community as we move along. I could imagine that being one of your students and being a part of something so significant would be like a motivating factor for me and wanting to just like study as hard as I can and research as much as I can. Is that is that true for your students? Um, maybe we should ask them, but <laughs> <laughs> um, my lab, I'm so blessed, is full of students, um, students that want to come and work with me and with people, other people in the lab. And I can tell you that I have so many requests of people that want to work in, in my lab. And, and it's beautiful. And it's the request of students from high school to, you know, to undergrads here at Michigan State and beyond Michigan State. So um, I feel I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm very fortunate. Do you think this research kind of puts Michigan State on the map a little bit as far as being one of the leading schools in maybe the biology field? Well, we are already on the map, right? Thanks to Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> 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 I, I think everything helps, but Michigan State is already a powerhouse for plant research and research in general. I just feel I contributed a bit more to an already high stature of, of this um, beautiful campus. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, what a, I had a question. I can't remember what it was now. Um, <laughs> uh, what is the most uh, significant thing that you've witnessed during your career as a, bio, as a biologist, researcher? Well, I have witnessed so many, um, but at least I can I can tell you in maybe in my laboratory. That's what you mean, or you mean more broadly? Uh, 
I guess, however you would like to explain that. Um, what is the most significant or uh, most impactful thing you've you've witnessed in your career? Um, in general, I can say, so I don't think it's just one event, but in general, throughout the years, what I found that maybe has been the most significant thing is our ability as scientists to change the makeup of organisms like plants and uh, being able to um, direct plants to be more productive, uh, more stress resistant. So for me, maybe there has been a major milestone that uh, science and scientists have achieved. And the reason why I don't want to point, point that to a single event is that um, this ability has been linked to the work of so many people together and continues to be improved over time. And sometimes we give it for granted, but I think our ability to have understood um, the plant genome and um, been able to make use of it uh, is helping humanity as a whole by making plants uh, yeah, more productive and producing more food, medicines also for the humanity. So I think I would, you know, I would think that that is a major uh, game changer. I guess like along those same lines, um, aside from working on the the project with NASA and furthering science in space, uh, what 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 else are you guys working on to uh, kind of uh, improve plant life here on Earth? I mean, obviously, you just mentioned like medicine and and sustainability a little bit. Right, so in, in our lab, we are working on making plants more productive um, in the um, bioenergy economy. So we're trying to uh, make sure that plants can produce um, basic chemicals that can um, help with their productivity in terms of bioenergy. So plants are a sustainable resource of biomaterials that can be converted to bioenergy and biofuels. And so we are equipping plants with more of those basic chemicals that can make them more and more tailored towards producing uh, biofuels. And in parallel to that, we also testing um, and developing plants that um, can be more resistant to stress. And so they can uh, you know, receive less input, uh, human input in withstanding the harsh environment of, uh, of the field. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're making plants that are more productive per acre of land in different conditions of um, environmental conditions. Such as what? Um, so, for example, we're making plants that um, are bigger in general, so they actually have more biomass yield, making some uh, modifications to their um, surface. But also, we're making plants that are more resistant to drought stress and heat stress. Wow. That's, yes. that's really cool. 
Yeah. How have you guys uh, worked with any local um, like farmers and in, in their crops or anything like that? So um, some of this work is a proprietary, and we have patented that thanks to MSU. And now um, a company out in California is uh, employing some of our uh, trades into the field. Um, in plants like uh, sorghum and alfalfa. So the results so far look very positive, uh, but we're doing field uh, trials and so field testing, and those take a long time, as you can imagine, especially when you grow uh, crops, they have um, a relatively slow pace of growth. But things are going well, are very promising, so we're hoping for the best. <laughs> Are plants harder to grow today than they ever have been because of like maybe um, like pollution and and just the us growing our infrastructure here on Earth? Is it is it more difficult? Are the stress factors higher? Well, um, I grew up in a, in a farm, and I can tell you that um, see now how technology has evolved. Maybe growing plants from a technological standpoint is it's easier because we can predict, for example, how much fertilizer they need or how much water they may need in some fields. Um, what is growing, I think, though, more difficult is actually the sudden changes in temperature, extreme um, weather conditions that we're experiencing because of the climate change. So, you know, so it depends how you, uh, you want to talk about easy or difficult, um, I think for plants is becoming more challenging to grow because of limitations uh, due to climate change um, that, that for sure they're affecting uh, plants and, and crop yield. Yeah, I mean, we can see it here in Michigan. You mentioned how warm it is here. And like usually, I remember like when I was a kid, we had winters, like we would have snow all winter long. And it's like, it's so weird because now we have like one snowfall and then it melts and then it's kind of cold and rainy and wet, but no snow. <laughs> so it's, yeah, some people may like it, and but then you know uh, that's not what plants um, and crops, at least in this region, have been used to, and so now they have to adapt to this new environment, and and that is difficult, right? It is really difficult. Now, one thing I guess I was kind of interested in asking you about, do you know anything about the communication between plants? Um, it's not really my area. Uh, so I, I most likely I know as, you know, as much as any other person on the street. Uh, so um, not really, I, I wouldn't like to communicate intelligently about it. Um, I'm sorry, I no, want no. to be totally honest on that. That's okay. That was a random question that I just had. And, <laughs> but I, I think it would be interesting to learn about uh, the, the communication that plants have with each other. Um, now, oh, let's see here. Um, I, don't, I don't remember. I don't have any. I like last night, like spent all evening writing these questions. I'm like, I'm talking to a professor at MSU. I need to have all these questions. And uh, yeah, I think I've gone through most of my questions, but um Looking back at your career, would you say that this NASA thing is probably one of the most significant things you've been involved in? Or most, it's, most definitely, it's definitely a huge highlight of my, of, 
of my career about so as um, as a human being, um, you know, being able to uh, witness um, things like that uh, in a lifetime is fantastic, right? I, I think um, when one thinks about what happened during my lifetime, um, and as I told you, I, I was um, actually the moon landing was a few months before my uh, actually birth, so I didn't witness or watch anything like that. But now sending plants around the moon for me is of historical significance because um, it's a really big step forward. And so although that's something that was done with my lab, I would say um, even if I didn't do it, um, there would be a highly significant uh, step forward. Um, so I would say, yes, um, this flight to with NASA has been a big highlight, but not just because um, we did that in, yeah. in general. That's actually a really good point. I never, I, I didn't even think about that, but how like you were born when we landed on the moon and then in your lifetime, now you're a part of a process of growing something on the moon. Like that is so significant and amazing. Yes, yes. So it's a big step in that direction. Um, let's see what comes next. Uh, really, at this point, I think that just imagination is the only limitation here. We can do what we want. And I think that's that's really the driving principle. Now, kind of going off into imagination land, in your lifetime or in during your career, what would you like to see advance the most? What is the most significant thing you would like to see happen? Um, I would love to see um, the climate to go back to, to more sustainable opportunities. And with that, I would like to see a more clean energy frontiers being explored and invested upon. And I really would love to see that we're going to have our first settlement on, on Mars. That would be fantastic. I really hope that that's going to happen. Would, do you think you would ever go to Mars? Not personally, because I, I think um, they would not accept old guys like me for the flight. But maybe, you know, maybe my grandchildren would. So <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Do you have grandchildren? No, not only three beautiful three teenagers. Um, so um, I don't know how far I am from grandchildren, but teenagers for now. So I hope I can wait another bit. <laughs> what is what is their response like, knowing that their mom's a part of something so amazing? Um, at first, they couldn't believe it. And then when I actually offered them evidence that this was happening, they were super excited and Maybe um, them and my husband are the biggest supporters. They really, they really, uh, I think for them is realizing um, that everything is possible. Um, if your mom does it, it must be true. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, that's like an example for them, knowing that like my mom was able to accomplish this, and maybe I can push to new heights when I'm when I'm able to. That's true, true. But I have to tell you that there are three amazing individuals and they um, they surprise me every day with what they can do. So I think I think I, I'm also 
inspired by them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, obviously you set the example and, and they're following in your footsteps. So um, I guess my last question is, if you could pass on any, pass on any knowledge to the general public regarding biology, what would that be? Well, the general knowledge will be um, plants are important. Um, let's not underestimate them. Let's value them. They have so much to offer to us. Um, you know, we breathe oxygen thanks to them. We eat food thanks to them. So let's respect them and uh, let's make sure that um, we safeguard the resources that plants need to continue to thrive because if they thrive, we do too. Absolutely. Uh, is there any, is there, do you guys have social media? Like does your lab have social media or is there anywhere that the audience could follow along your guys' journey? Or yes, I think we are present everywhere, Twitter, um, Instagram, um, Facebook, you name it. Um, and of course we are on the Michigan State um, website. And if anybody has questions, please feel free to shoot me an email. Um, I'm on the MSU website and uh, it's very rich, easy to reach me. Yeah, it, it was, I was, uh, I was kind of wowed at the fact that you, you guys responded and I was like, oh, this is so cool. So thanks again for doing this. This was a pleasure and an honor for me to be able to sit down and talk with you. Thank you, David. This was fantastic. Thanks for the opportunity to explain our research to, to your listeners. Absolutely. And I hope to have you back when we know more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Always happy to help. All right. Thank you. Okay. Take care, David. You too. <laughs> Bye.